My name is Diana and this is the Family Finance Show, the podcast to help you manage your family's finances better. Every week we share an episode on topics relating to increasing your family's income and managing expenses, controlling your debt and investing for the future. Welcome back Warren and um, we've got three really interesting questions for you today. Hi Diana, thanks, looking forward to it. Great. The, the first question we have today is one that I found really interesting, actually. And, I, and thanks to the Magnetic on Twitter for raising it. And this question is around sustainable finance and ethical investing. So we in our family have changed our buying habits a little bit. So we try to not buy anything with palm oil in, actually, because of all the rainforest destruction that goes on there. And so we've had to like cut out Nutella and other lovely things like that um, and change our buying habits in other ways as well. But what about investing and our share portfolio? How can we invest for a more ethical and sustainable and environmental world? Oh, it's, a, it's actually such a brilliant topical uh, question. Mm. And I think it's, it's important to understand this is quite a nuanced area of, of investing because you know, there's there's been a lot of greenwashing of investments over over the last uh, few years, and and potentially even over the last few decades, where companies will just get some kind of a rating, and and you know it's almost a tick the box approach, and and so some ratings agency will say no, you're green, and and then the company feels you know that they they, uh, they meet whatever the criteria are, and off they go and carry on business as usual. Um, and investors feel that you know they're doing the right job because this this company's got a, a green rating and everything's okay. Mm. And when you actually go and understand the business model of that company, they're not they're not okay at all, and 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 often are quite harmful in their practices. And so, you know, when we start talking about uh, you know responsible sustainable investing, I think it's important to to kind of understand it in a bit more depth. So so let's look at South Africa for example. It's actually very hard to find a quality investment, let's say a portfolio, whether it's a unit trust or an, an index track or, or, or something like that, 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 that only invests in companies that, that do no environmental harm or, mm-hmm. or, or at least are moving in the right direction. Because if you look at our, you know, the biggest companies in our stock exchange, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the tech business, NASPAS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then, you know, you go to, if you go down the rankings, it's the mining houses, British American Tobacco, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we've got um, AB InBev, which is the, the big brewery, the global brewer. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got, uh, you know, um, uh, kind of those sets of criteria within your investment portfolio, it becomes very hard actually to make an investment decision in South mm-hmm. Africa. And, um, and my view is that, that often it's probably better to do what you're doing, which is, which is then to, con- to change your consumer behavior because you, you can have a much more direct impact on, on, uh, on the businesses by, by not buying the products that are harmful. But that mm-hmm. obviously takes an incredible amount of work as well. Uh, and, and so I think it's, uh, you know, if we're just talking about a South African context, and I think we need to talk about it globally as well, but, but just on a South African context, uh, I, I think a lot of the time nowadays, it's, it's actually pressure on, uh, on companies from, from fund managers and index providers that's starting to change the behavior. And so I think mm. I would caution against being exclusionary when you make your investment decision. In other words, let, let, let's just say, um, I mean, the, 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 the um, French energy company, Total in South Africa, you know, they spend 
a huge amount of their of their revenue on on actually research into sustainable renewable energy businesses and and actually wanting to provide industrial scale renewable energy to 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 the world now you know the, the flip side of that is that it's an old world energy business and you know it sells fossil fuels so so if you were exclusionary you would say well hang on i'm not going to buy that, that that share at all and i'll sell that, that share if it's in my portfolio because you know they, they've got fossil fuels but i mean there isn't really a, a better business that's positioned to understand how to get uh, you know energy to to the consumer better than a, than a an existing energy company and if that energy company is working really hard to find proper sustainable ways to, to generate renewable energy but also really to create a business model that, that will get that to the consumer then I would say that you know that that should form part of a, of a sustainable investment portfolio mm. so it's so really complicated it's really complicated uh, Warren because if you uh, Typically, the tech companies are seen as sustainable compared to an energy company. But if you actually look at Google, for example, they have so many data centers which use the data centers consume enormous amounts of electricity. And in South Africa, that electricity is produced via coal. So and that's not sustainable. So there's it's, it gets really complicated when you're trying to choose a company that um, kind of reflects your values. I found Personally, more small and medium-sized companies reflect my values and are more sustainable and more committed to the environment. But you can't really build a share portfolio out of small and medium-sized companies because the risk is too high. Is that right? Exactly. And I think also just in South Africa, there's so few of those, you know, that that, that will resonate with your values and, and are sustainable just as an investment, you know, just a standalone investment business case. So, so I, I would say, unfortunately, um, in in South Africa, you know, for now, um, you, you either need to choose fund managers who are voting very aggressively at shareholder meetings and and you know are almost activist in their approach to to the companies in which they they're investing money uh, would, would be one way of doing that. Uh, or, or alternatively, is is to invest as normal, but but then take a, a portion of your returns every year and allocate that to specific causes where you can have a, a direct impact. Uh, mm, and that's a great uh, idea. You know, I can't think of a of a of a more uh, more a better way to do it. I think globally, it's a bit of a different story. So, so there's lots of uh, there's lots of greenwashing going on globally as well. But, but of mm. course, you know, people adapt to this quite quickly. And so, you now get exchange traded funds, uh, fund managers, and the like who who invest in. And, and globally, the the phrase for this is ESG, and it's environmental, uh, sustainable, and governance. And I mm -hmm. think that. Um, that's important because, as you say, you know, a, a tech company might, might, for example, even if they had decent data centers that were solar powered, they might fall down because they 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 treat uh, you know they treat women unfairly. You know, there's there's sort mm -hmm. of gender inequality in their remuneration structures, or you know, they, they're terrible employers. Uh, in, I mean, Uber went through quite a bad patch of, of with that kind of an issue. So, so to me, the the ESG world is is probably. Uh, you know the, the the route to follow, and certainly there are a lot more options there. So so actually, you can buy just an exchange traded fund. If you if people googled ESG um, exchange traded funds, they would find them, and yeah. and and some of them are quite sophisticated now. So I think globally it's becoming easier, and then locally I, I would really take a portion of my money every year, uh, allocate it to uh, you know a specific NGO or a specific business that's that's you know co correlates with your values as a way of of generating the, the right impact that you want to achieve. And then also just change your buying habits so the products you buy are from uh, sustainable companies or are sustainable products. So you could do those two things for now in South Africa. 
Exactly. And I think, you know, just as a last comment there, you know, it, it's also the, this whole thing of buy local. Um, I, I think it's really important, but uh, I don't just mean buy South African made products. I'm, I'm also saying when you buy your food, try and buy it from from as close to the source as possible. So try and buy it from farmers who are as close to, to, to where you are, because, you know, you, you start to limit the cost of transport, which is a huge fuel impact. And mm. The farmers get more sustainable income. So try and buy direct as much as you possibly can. Um, you know, the local green grocer is much better option than a national chain. Mm. Uh, and, and so those kinds of things as well. And, and, and funny enough, um, and you'll like this, Diana, it's, it's also really good for the budget. Mm, yes, exactly. So um, all the more reason to, to buy local and from your, your green grocer down the road. I love it. Cool, Warren. So the next question is around, uh, is from a family who's immigrating to Australia. Um, their question is, should they leave their pensions here? So it's a husband and a wife. They both have pensions that they've been contributing to for, I don't know, 20 plus years. And uh, so there's a quite a substantial amount there. Should they leave their pensions here when they immigrate or should they withdraw? Well, it's a, uh, it's, it's, so, so I think it's not a, it's not a simple yes or no answer. I think just to give them, just to give them a bit of context. So I think the one thing is when you move, uh, if you need capital on the other side, you know, that often, you know, accessing your retirement fund might be a great way of get, getting some money, uh, you know, to, to put down a deposit on a property or fund yourself for a period of time while you're waiting to generate an income, et cetera. And, and so, you, you know, then, then it might almost be a forced issue that you, that you should just do that. And, you know, and very often when you arrive in a new country, you've got no credit history, you probably won't get funding from banks, et cetera. Uh, so, so I think that that's part of the the, the, the issue, and, and and I think the other thing is how far away they would be from from retiring those those the, their pensions or provident funds in South Africa. So you know if they've got let's say two or three years to go uh, before they they would reach the the legal retirement age of those funds, then it probably makes sense to let the money stay invested, and uh, and then uh, you know t- take it once it's retired. Uh, but 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 if they're at ten or fifty years away and and you know that's a different story because you know there's so many um, unforeseen risks that they just can't plan for around mm. the rand and the Oz dollar and the you know mm. the, the local economy the australian economy etc in which case you know if it's if it's a long time away i tend to say you know rather reduce the, un, the unknowns rather reduce the variables as much as you possibly can by then at least taking the capital um, and and locking that value in and then rebuilding on the other side but that that has a huge tax consequence. It's you know it's really not a, mm. a, a great idea to, to kind of draw money from a retirement fund no matter what. But but sometimes it becomes an, a, a necessity. So so it, it it's definitely going to be something that they're going to have to consider very carefully. Uh, mm. And as I say, if they've got if they've got an income on the other side and they're not too far from retirement in South Africa, my, my default view would be to to then rather leave them and and let those funds retire here, and then they can convert them. And just quickly on that, uh, I'm sorry, sorry. So, so once you retire a fund in South Africa and it becomes a living annuity, mm-hmm. you can make it a global portfolio completely. So you can make it 100% invested in international markets, which means you've then got your RAND hedge sorted out. And then, uh, yes, you're going to have to draw the income out every year as, as, as RANDs, but, but the income will be linked to whatever your, the, the global performance is of your investment. So that might be a good way. For, for people who want to then leave their retirement fund here, but but hedge themselves out of South Africa risk. That was going to be my question. So if they do leave their fund here and they do retire, and they would so then they would be paid 
an, uh, an income in rands that would, they would also then need to take that back to Australia every month. So there would be some bank charges involved there, et cetera. So I guess it's, it's quite a complicated thing. And um, we don't know, as you say, there's so many unknowns involved, especially if it's a long time away, like what's the rand going to do against the Australian dollar? Um, yeah, I, I suppose it's, it's something that you have to consider very carefully and probably not something that you want to do um, immediately as you immigrate. Potentially it's a decision that you could leave for a couple of years just as you settle in and figure, find, find your feet in, in your new country, wherever that is, whether that's Australia or Nigeria or Thailand, anywhere. Exactly right. And, and I think, you know, just, just uh, you know, this, when, when life is so uncertain, to try and just reduce the number of variables is, is an important thing to do, to, to make fewer decisions that are absolutely necessary. Uh, and, and then my last comment is just be careful. You know, it's a very South African thing when, we, when, when South Africans immigrate, they always, they always go and buy, buy a property immediately. Uh, and, and uh, you know, a lot of the people I know that have gone to Australia, they've ended up you know, living in two or three different cities before they eventually settled down. So, so my, my first comment would be just to, to make sure that you, you, you decide to rent at least for 12 or 24 months while you mm-hmm. make sure that you're in the right place, the right city, or, you know, if perhaps you realize the error of your ways and you come back to South Africa. <laughs> yes, like I did. Um, yeah, it's a big, it's a big change. And um, it's something that you have to do very deliberately and, and thoughtfully. Um, so, okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for that uh, answer, Warren. The, the, the next question is around budgeting. So we did an episode around budgeting and hopefully people were inspired by that to get their budgets in order. And somebody asked around an app for budgeting. So I just use a spreadsheet. It's old school. And I, I used, I looked at my budget in much more detail in previous years. So like 2007, eight, nine, and there weren't a lot of apps around during that time. But now obviously there's an app for, everything and i haven't personally used them i i've heard about 227 and mint um oh, this person is asking for free apps particularly do you do you have any that you use or you know about no so, so it's, it's i think those would be the two that i would also talk about and, and i think you do pay a, a bit of a fee to to both of them i think what's interesting with this space is that actually the um the banks are starting to offer more and more tools as well, you know, online tools, either, you know, um, generally just through the app or, or, or the, your banking profile where, where you mm. get, you, you start to track these things. So um, I know my bank, you know, is offering me one about, you know, not offering, it's part of the, it's just part of my banking where it says track your worth and um, your know, net asset value. And, and I think, mm. so, so, so my first comment is just to, to actually check what, what the banks are offering, because, you know, that, that might be a, a simple solution. And obviously the bank's tracking your expenses all day long, every day anyway, but mm. certainly, um, I know it's not free, but I think 227, you know, you know they, they've been market leaders for a long time in, in kind of creating the, the, the right way to do budgeting, you know, because I think it's, it, as you said, it's old school if you do it on a spreadsheet or just a simple you know, calculation every month. Um, and, and to try and make it uh, you know, easier to understand and easier to track yourself and, and give yourself goals, et cetera, you know, that's what 227 have done very well. Uh, but, 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 but yeah, I don't know, of, I must say, I don't know of a free one. And your point about the bank is good, actually, because I remembered that uh, my bank offered that. And at some point I set it up. So you just set up um, like whatever, Caltex, and that um, that automatically goes into your petrol expenses. So you can set up different rules and it automatically categorizes all your expenses for you. So um, so that's that's a good option to look at. But otherwise, apps like 22.7 would be another good option. And if any listeners have any suggestions, they can let us know on Twitter. 
Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the, the one comment there is, you know, some of these apps, uh, you know, they ask you for your banking passwords and, and that's, you know, that's often quite scary for, for people because you think, you know, I mean, that's, you know, we, we get trained now by everybody to tell us not to give away our, our banking details or, or our apps or, uh, sorry, our passwords to anybody. Mm. Um, and so just to understand, you know, when, when 22.7 started in South Africa, I remember one of the big four banks actually laid a complaint at the Reserve Bank because they were saying these guys are, you know, going to breach data privacy, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but, but a lot of these, these uh, bigger engines are, are, or bigger um, apps are using a service called Yodli, um, and Yodli is a global business and, you know, it's, it's got better data security than, than the banking system has itself. So, you know, so if you're going to use a banking app and they're asking for your, your data, just check what, what's behind that. So if it's using Yodli or, or one of the other big sort of global data aggregators, you, you probably, you're probably okay to, to use them. Of course, no, no, no one's data is 100% secure anymore, but, um, but that used to be quite a big impediment to people using uh, those kinds of budgeting apps. And, and I think, you know, uh, I understand why, but, but I don't think it's necessarily as much of a concern anymore as, as we would think. It's a good thing to check for. Thanks, Warren, for answering our listeners' question. Appreciate your time today, and um, we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to stay on the journey to improving your family's financial well-being.